There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans, welcome to the 7 Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You know, I've spent over four decades working in the game, fortunate enough to meet some of the legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watch them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after hockey. The 7 Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and, and hear what they're up to today. Oh, man, we got a treat today. He is a six time Stanley Cup champion, 16 seasons in the NHL with four different teams, best known as a five-time cup winner with the Edmonton Oilers. Came up big when it mattered the most. He was money, Mr. Clutch. His five playoff game-winning OT goals ranked third in NHL history. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer, inducted in 2008. He's my buddy, Glenn Anderson. Andy, great to catch up with you again, my friend. Nice to see you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. appreciate it. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now download the 7-Eleven app. It was fun connecting with you at the Hall of Fame. We we did the luncheon at the Hall of Fame weekend and we kind of chatted briefly and you still look like you're in great shape. Are you feeling good? I feel great and um, I love that event at the Hall of Fame. The um, It's probably one of my favorite events to go to now are the, uh, is the media and um, the broadcasters that uh, the Foster Hewitt Award and um, it, it just you just get a different outlook of what it's like to go through uh, basically what you do daily, the daily grind of of trying to put this uh, great game of ice hockey into the media and the social network. Yeah. Hey, I, I got to ask you about your background because as you're talking right now, there's the, the for those who are watching the podcast and not just listening, you've got a Cure Cancer Foundation uh, background. Tell me about what that, uh, what your involvement with them and what that's all about. Yeah, 40 years running, probably the longest uh, charity event out there for in, in Alberta, definitely ran by one person. So we started in the early eighties and uh, basically we run, we raise funds annually for the cross cancer Institute and the cure cancer foundation. So far we've raised over $20 million and uh, we're still going strong. So, and the, the what's when we started, it's a great story. When we started back in um Early 80s, there was a doctor that I played with on the national team in the Olympics. His name was uh, Dr. Jeff Thomas. And they were uh, injecting um, rats with tumors back then and then putting lasers on them, on the tumor and trying to uh, figure out on how to cure the cancer. And uh, and now we're like 40 years later, almost 50 coming up, and uh, they basically have, have done wonders in the in that industry. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. It's interesting you mentioned uh, dollars because I always thought of you as a money guy. I mean, the the numbers, the numbers are crazy. Not just your fancy coats and jackets and stuff like that, that you used to wear, which were 
you were you were ahead of the curve on that, man. You didn't care what people thought. People talk about all these walking into the arena dressed up in certain ways to catch attention. You never shied away from that. You really enjoyed that, didn't you? Well, especially on the road. You got to love yeah. that. Is this 7-Eleven? Because are you guys always yeah. open? Because I had some teammates that said that they were 7-Eleven and they, that they were always open too. But uh, they never really were, but they always wanted the puck. So I'm just checking up on that. That's a great line. That's a great line. I'll tell you what. Uh, you were open it off a lot because you created. You 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 were one of the guys who just loved going to the high traffic area, and it paid off for you. You had 17 playoff game winning goals. That's fifth time on the fifth on the all time list. Uh, 214 playoff points. That's fourth on the all time NHL scoring list. You hold the Oilers team record for regular season game winning goals, 72. I don't obviously. I don't, I'm not going to talk about certain names. There are certain scoring players who tend not to be around when it really matters. You were the complete opposite. You may not have been noticeable all the game, but when the game was on the line, everybody got the puck to you because they knew you would deliver. What was it about that moment? Did you just at that point say, "I'm well rested because I haven't been playing so far, and now I'm ready to go"? Or how did that all work out? Yeah, it's a combination of things because, um, you know, obviously uh, it's the will to win. You want to take the will to win from every, away from everyone else and you want to create it. And, uh, you know, basically what you want to do is get into those dirty areas where it, they're hard to get to. And a lot of guys shy away from that. And and when the game was on the line, you got to get into those, um, you know, basically in front of that looking for rebounds. Uh, East-West goals are happening a lot now. It kind of be tough to beat these goalies. But uh, when it came down to crunch time, you want to be into those dirty, hard areas to get to where you're going to take a pounding, you're going to get hurt, and you got to be aggressive. And in those moments, I just love to shine because – and all the guys looked at me to, to score the big game-winning goal or get an assist. So get into that position so you could get into a winning, winning – whether it would be a tying goal um, or a game-winning goal, uh, you could go back into history and see uh, who who were the best at it. And we had a bunch of guys on our team that uh, that kind of rose to the occasion when that happened. Yeah, and it worked for you, man. What a career! What a career you had. Obviously, things went spectacularly well for you in Edmonton. The Oilers retired your number nine in two thousand and eight. Uh, one of only seven players to have won all five cups in franchise history. Even Gretz didn't win all five. <laughs> what was it like to be a part of n not just the the initial cup but with the Oilers, but then to keep on winning and showing that you guys were completely dominating from a dynasty standpoint? Well, I mean, I, I don't think you give Gretz enough credit there because – I mean, can oh, no, you imagine? trust me, I give Gretz all the credit in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was, he was like, we could have won so many more with him in the lineup because he was such a phenomenal player and we learned so much from each other. Um, like just little things that he would do onto the ice and uh, in practice. And I mean, your best players have got to be your hardest working players so the rest of the team can follow. And, um, just you can't just win on talent alone. You got to really dedicate yourself and you know pursue uh, a career where you're you're in condition. Everyone works hard, but just the way you work, you got to work with a purpose and a drive. And our drive and our goal on a regular basis with that team was to win. 
And we set up from day one. We had team meetings on a regular basis. We're all here to win. And the, the bottom line is you got to put the time in, you got to put the effort in, and you got to put the hard work in. And that's the daily grind to be that successful. There's a, it's not a, it's easy uh, ph philosophy and, and a little bit of a uh, kind of like the solution that you can have, you know, uh, but you got to put in the effort. You got to put in the time. You got to put in the hard work. Yeah, and you do that, and there's a payoff, and and it was paid off multiple times for you guys. Um, I love what you did in 1984. I mean, well, the younger hockey fans right now um, may not know the story. As a matter of fact, a lot of hockey fans may not know the story about this. The one of the great traditions now with the cup is we get to celebrate. You know, as a member of the media, I'm out there interviewing you guys during the celebrations, but then we could be mid interview. The number of times I was mid interview was like, gotta go, team pitcher. <laughs> where you guys all go to the center ice to get that one long-standing team picture. It wasn't a thing before you guys made it a thing. Walk us through that story. Well, we did a lot of things. Uh, we changed that they still do today. Uh, the rookie dinner is like one of them. You know, we started that also. So uh, Gretz just pulled everybody together and, you know, you know, it, I mean, if the first cup, if you you look back, the fans were jumping on the ice. I was getting kind of mauled by guys on the on jumping on my back. I felt like you know celebrating with the with the team, but but it was like packed. The ice they didn't have security on the ice at that point in time, so it was kind of crazy. But the uh, throughout the year, you're doing team pictures. Uh, you know, in Edmonton, it was a kind of a, a spoof where. You know, you wore a different hat in Toronto. We got dressed up as gangsters for team pictures. And, and then it became an annual thing, too, with all the clubs. But the 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 little in, in were, the little things that the team did together that uh, we created for the future and the, that still exist in the game today um, that the players don't even realize that we started are, are kind of special because they, uh, they still can continue the tradition today. But that whole the, the whole picture at center ice, how did that come? Was that just kind of a random thought? Gretz just grabbed everybody, just grabbed the cup and pulled everybody in. And then, um, but the, it's it wasn't just the team. It, he just said, come on, you guys, let's get a team picture. And then, you know, you, you're, I mean, your training staff, mm -hmm. uh, it's like everybody that's on the ice is, is your massage therapist. You're, like everybody is involved. Uh, but and then the next day you're you got your families. All your families are there. The kids, the uh, parents, the grandparents. Everything. Everybody's involved. To to be successful, you need uh, you need to be family orientated. And and it started with our families and worked our way down. Sometimes to be successful, you gotta suffer a little pain. And there's a great story I've I've kind of heard you tell before about. Um, there was the transfer of ownership of the cup from the New York Islanders to you guys. I've had Brian Trache on the show uh, last year. We had some great conversations with him. He talked about his dynasty and he talked about how hard it was to turn that over to the oil. There was an incident in game two against the Islanders uh, when they lost the cup during that year where Brian Trache, well, you tell us a story about trots in your foot. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, I still laugh today because he says I didn't mean to do it. I go, I know you did. <laughs> it's, a, it's hard to miss. And like you, in between your uh, shin pad and your ankle, you've got a little space. It's kind of like 
where your glove goes on your hand. There's a little space um, between your elbow yeah, pads. Yeah. A lot of guys have bare skin there. And um, obviously, it's a target for the guys that you're playing against. And when, and the the one game in, uh, in uh, I believe we were on the island. It was on the island. Oh, and, uh, and Brian, uh, you know, jumped up and, you know, stepped on my leg and kind of I didn't realize I was cut at the time but it was right on that gap uh between your shin pad and your ankle and 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 I just hear this squish 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 on the way to the bench I'm going I wonder what what that's funny noise is and my my boots feeling kind of funny it, it, there's like there's some water getting in there or something and then um I looked down and you could see like a different color it's, it wasn't water and um so I go to the dressing room and I pull my boot off and, and I'm split open and uh, the doctor's got to go in there and, and uh, basically pull my skin back together. And uh, the blood is pouring out and uh, he stitches me up that I get a new pair of skates uh, and I uh, and then I jump back on. And I, I don't even think I missed a shift. I think uh, they got it done up and fixed up right away and then jump back on onto the ice right away. And I still got those skates that are with the blood in them. Oh, man. You know what? As you were telling that story, I just because of all the stuff that we've seen, the incidents that we've seen with cuts, um, and obviously the major tragedy that occurred earlier this year, you played in an era where equipment was not a factor. Like even helmets was a big stretch, visors, and now we're getting to the point where we're talking about potentially bringing in cut-proof material like jerseys to protect the necks and wrists to protect the wrists and socks to protect the legs because we've seen guys in the back of their legs. Where do you stand on that whole thing? Do we need to make that mandatory? Do we need to grandfather that in the way we grandfather in helmets? Well, take the mouth guard, for instance. Like, it, like we used to wear a mouth guard, and I still got my teeth knocked out, but – these guys are chewing their mouth guard as they're skating around. So I don't know if it's protecting them or not anyway. So how are you going to keep, uh, if, if you make it mandatory, even with the neck guards, the guys are going to play with it. So that makes them feel more comfortable. They're going to, yeah. they're going to do what's best for them and makes them feel the best for them and whatever's going to, whatever they think is going to protect them. So as far as making it mandatory and, you know, abiding by the rules. Everyone's going to try to cut the rules or try to cheat the rules or try to do whatever they can so that it makes their game better than the next guy. And so if they're uncomfortable wearing a neck guard or putting a gap in, in their um, in their glove so that they can stick handle better, uh, I mean, that's personal preference. So it's going to be tough to monitor. Mm -hmm. And laying the ground rules is is going to be difficult i mean in every league you're going to have that problem but i think today uh is a game where you know you put cages on the kids if they grow up with that and the neck guards and all that those implications of uh of putting uh how solid ground rules in the game at an early age they just kind of adapt to it growing up yeah that makes sense um yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here, trying to protect the players, but also make them feel comfortable so they can perform at their best. Um, before we leave the Oilers, I, I want to talk to you about Peter Pocklington, one of the most outspoken owners in NHL history. Uh, I've heard some great stories about Pocklington coming into your room and with basketfuls of cash. T tell us about that, about, about how he tried to encourage you. The pre-bonus days. Um, yeah, well, uh, 
obviously we were making him a lot of money. <laughs> Every time he did something like that, we would think, okay, well, how much did he bet on the game? You know, type of thing it was our, our first instinct. But um, I, I think it was just incentive, like little incentives, like whatever it might be to get you to perform better. Basically, you're – your salary is cut off as soon as you're finished playing and that there are no, you're playing for basically the regular season when you're done. Yeah, the regular yeah. Season. Yeah. So you don't, you're not making anything and the money that you were making back, especially in the eighties and the nineties, I can't imagine it in the seventies or the sixties were like, like you're, you're playing. I think, I think we were making less than $5,000 per round Canadian. So it was, Probably like monetary wise, you play every two weeks. You, half of it goes to the government, half is going to the the um, the exchange rate. So you're walking out of there probably with a thousand dollars around for every two weeks that you have to play. So basically, you're not playing for the money; you're playing for the love of the game, and uh, and you got to you know really uh, you know encourage your team or your players to to play for something and he would come in there and, and give little incentives like a trip to Hawaii golf clubs. Um, you know, we'll, we'll give you like, and that's where the carrot on the ring comes into play. He would always come into the room and give a little incentive to, to win the round or to win the game to, uh, but it was only in the playoffs. It wasn't, it wasn't too much during the year. i tell you that. You know what time it is. It's time to crush your cravings with Seven Eleven Cravables like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. I want to get back to a great story that you that you tell about Wayne. Um, game six in Toronto in the playoffs, the infamous Gretzky cuts Gilmore doesn't get caught <laughs> situation. You are in the penalty box that game. Walk us through the way you watched it all go and the the game, the level that Wayne took it to in in that game and in that series, and the reasons that he told you he was able to elevate his game. Well, start with the penalty that I took on um, last couple of minutes. Uh, you always say the first two minutes and the last two minutes of each period are, are crucial. Uh, personally, I think that uh, 
uh, Rob Blake took a dive because I barely touched him. And then talking to the ref afterwards, like years later, he goes, oh, you drove his head through the boards. I'm going, are you kidding me? He drove himself through the boards. I bumped into him and he went flying through the air. Um, and then um, it, back then the rules was that if you cut a player, uh, it's an automatic four-minute penalty and possible five minutes. And so the referee at the time never saw it. The two linesmen, but everybody else in the building saw it. So it was, and I was sitting in the penalty box, watch this play out. So that's an automatic four minute penalty. And also it's uh, a possible game suspension, but because it was a certain player on the ice, I think that, um, they all kind of gathered together and said, oh, I didn't see it. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. It was like the three stooges having a conversation. So at the end of the day, uh, no call. And then Gretz gets the tire and then he gets the winner on top of it. Then he comes back in game seven and he plays lights out because um, I won't say it, but it was one of oh, the say it, say it. It's a great story. One of the media guys saying that Gretzky's playing like he's got a piano on his back. <laughs> it was my buddy Bob McKenzie. Yeah. Bob and I worked together for thirty I'm years. Bob loves to tell that story. So anyway, that in my opinion, anytime you write a story about a professional athlete, especially a good professional athlete, the first thing we we used to do, and um, and if the team said something derogatory about another team or our team, we would paste that article on the blackboard so that everybody in the dressing room read it and that everyone in um, the management read it and we saw it every day walking into the room so they did exactly that they pasted that article that's the first thing he said and then um my <laughs> you never give a good player uh as they say a bad pass well you never give a uh, I write a bad article about a, a good player because he's going to, he's going to, especially a professional player, he's going to shove it right up here. You know what to, uh, to Brett, you know, to do the best he can to prove himself that he is the best in the world. And obviously game seven and in game six, Brett's came alive and, um, and, you know, proved that he was the greatest of all time. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly amazing what he was able to accomplish and amazing that, he was a guy who never took a night off and yet still had an entire other level when he needed it, was, which was just crazy. It was just crazy what he was able to do. Well, the, the best story I hear is from um, the, the late uh, John Muckler. And uh, Muck would say that, uh, yeah, Gretz used to come into the dressing room and, and he would do like five game segments and um, – he goes, I need this many points by this date, and I need this many points by this time, and this many goals. And like, and, and at that time in the early 80s, like, who's thinking that way? But only him. So he's going like, oh, yeah, I, I need, okay, I'm closing in on 50 goals in, uh, in 45 games, and like, I got to get this many goals. So like, he was ahead of the curve as far as point production, and uh, he wasn't going to let anybody uh, steal those uh those awards away from them that the NHL had. Yeah, it was, it's amazing. I mean, and like, it, it was funny when you hear Gretz tell the story, uh, his kid was doing a speech somewhere and he said, so dad, how do I introduce you? And just says, well, number one in everything. <laughs> that's all you, that's all you gotta know, which is true. I mean, which is absolutely true. True. Uh, I, let's get back to 1994 now. So now it's a little bit further down the road from, 
from uh, the high stick that wasn't called. It's trade deadline in March. Everything's going normally for you. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, you get a a call from Cliff Fletcher. Walk me through what he tells you at that point. Well, I'm... I'm hanging around the dress room at three o'clock and the deadline is at three o'clock and, you know, down there with Pappy in the, in the training room. And, um, you know, I, I, I said, Hey, throw my bag out in the hall. Cause the, you know, the, the media was around looking for, you know, any scoops or did anybody get traded? And I threw my hockey bag out into the, into the midst of them out of the dressing room. And they go, yeah, bull or you never got traded. It was as a, as a prank, right? Yeah. And um, they didn't believe me at the time, and I didn't believe it either. And then I get home, and it's pat- now it's five o'clock in the afternoon. So, like, uh, we were there in the dressing room till three to see if anything happened. Nothing happened. So, uh, Cliff called and said, "I got uh, good news and bad news." And I go, uh, "Okay, so." What's the good news? He goes, well, the good news, I traded you. I go, that's the good news? <laughs> you got to be kidding. <laughs> I wonder what the bad news is. The bad news is you got to be on a plane tonight. You play in Calgary tomorrow. <laughs> wow. What what was that? I mean, but, but again, this goes back to uh, that was the Mike Gartner deal. And it was a huge deal at that point, a huge deal. The Leafs were trying to bring in Mike Gartner thinking that would put him over the top and then complete the opposite happens because you end up with the New York Rangers on a pretty solid team down the stretch. So you joined the Rangers in March of 1994 and we all know how that 1994 season ended up. What was it like, first of all, being reunited with your buddy, Mark Messier, and then to, to know that, they're bringing you in thinking this is the guy and then you ended up being the guy you got to kind of go back and i don't know what uh you know back to the toronto situation there like i thought we really came together um in around just after christmas with that club in 93 94 we were still all geared up and we had all we were running on all cylinders and uh, we really became a team. And uh, to get traded was kind of shocking and devastating. I mean, whenever that happened. So as far as getting traded, uh, Rangers were the President's Trophies winners. They were on top of the league. Uh, Mark was hurt at the time. Uh, but, you know, stepping in, uh, I thought there was, they made a bunch of changes. I mean, they brought in Stefan Mato and Larmer and Tiki and... We had seven ex-Oilers on the team there. So it was basically, you know, Edmonton Oilers East. Uh, and the, the room was solid. The, the dressing was like, obviously, with, with the leadership with Kevin Lowe and, and Mark. Uh, we had a guy named Brian Leach and Mike, Mike yeah. Richter were outstanding players that I didn't realize how you don't realize how good a player is until you play with them. And both of those guys were like, they would stand out like every night, nightly and, just fantastic to have uh, as teammates and as players uh, in uh, for that cup run. So we were pretty solid. We were an older team and um, things couldn't have turned out better the way they worked out. Yeah. And you end up winning your sixth Stanley cup, which is amazing. When are there times where you kind of sit back? I mean, no Canadian teams won the cup since 1993. Like it's, it's mind boggling to me what's happened and how much more difficult it is it has become 
for teams that we would think traditional teams, not the Habs, not the Leafs. These are the, you know, Bruins won in 2011, but there's a lot of original six teams that have just suddenly kind of like faded. The Red Wings kept it going. The Hawks kept it going. But when you, when you think back on your career, man, I won six Stanley cups. Does it sink even more so now, because during your playing days, there were the Cornwallis and there were the Bellavos and the Savard, guys who had won multiple cups. But now, to win a multiple cup, it's such a rarity. Does it make it even that much more impactful for you? Well, especially who's still alive, um, as far as and that haven't won, um, have won that many cups that didn't wear a Montreal Canadian jersey. You know, yeah. so there's not that many in the world. And, uh, you know, that's a kind of tip of the hat to uh, the strength of the teams that we did have. I mean, obviously, uh, after the Montreal Canadiens in the 70s, the Islanders took over uh, and then it was Edmonton and then Pittsburgh had a a little bit of a run at it. And then after that, um, the parity of the league kind of got really tight. And uh, then they put in a salary cap, which made it even more difficult. So you got to be kind of cagey on the way you pick your team and how you pick your team. Uh, you got to have kind of like the Dallas stars have been consistent. Jimmy Nail's done a fantastic job there by bringing in the youth and uh, keeping the older guys. And that's the way you got to do it in today's game as a, as a general manager, as an owner, you got to look at, at, uh, keeping the salary cap down, but also uh, having um, having a good solid youth in in your program. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, so you win six Stanley Cups, which in and of itself is obviously life changing. But then you also had a life changing moment at the uh, Stanley Cup parade, the nineteen ninety four Stanley Cup parade. You met- <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite stories of all time. Tell us <laughs> the um, well, we've. I mean, obviously you're celebrating in New York and there's no place to celebrate like New York. And then at the day of the parade. So um, I'm with my parents and, um, you know, we're, I want to get shave off my beard and get a haircut and look pretty good for the parade type thing. So we go across, take mom across the street for into the barber shop and the salon for um, to get all prettied up for the parade because all the parents and all the kids and, um, and all the families are on the floats. So uh, I'm sitting in the uh, in the barber chair uh, getting done up. And mom says, oh, I'm leaving. I'm going to take off and I, I'll see you down at the parade. I go, yeah, sounds good. We'll, we'll meet you down there. And I um, I fell asleep in the barber chair and I woke up and the and the parade was starting on the TV. And I go, is that, is that live? <laughs> and didn't realize that actually it was like it was like. I was had about five minutes to get down there. So I jump in a taxi. And of course, in New York, I get the slowest taxi driver in the world. And um, I said, listen, you got to speed it up. And he gets up and there's he can't get through here. There's barricades. Okay, well, just tell the police that I'm supposed to be in the parade. And then the, the guy's on the radio going, uh, yeah, we got Glenn Anderson down here. He's saying he's supposed to be in the parade. He go, they go, yeah, get him up here. We're going to give him a police escort. They get me right up to the front of the line, pass by everybody, and I get up there. And as I uh, as I get on the float, it still hasn't moved yet. I take one step on, and uh, Joey Kosher goes, hey, Glennie, how are you doing? Good to see you could make it. <laughs> and then the, and the, um, and the float takes off. So and everything worked out in the end. It was great. What, what a great story, though. 
Uh, Listen, uh, I think all of our uh, listeners and viewers understand pretty well why you fell asleep at that point. There was a lot lot of celebrating. Yeah, so three days of no sleep will do it to you. You also met somebody pretty special during the cup parade. Isn't that where you met your wife, Susan? Uh, Not at the parade, no. So we went to uh, Gracie Manor after, and then... um, and then we went to, uh, you know, the mayor, uh, you know, Giuliani gave us the key to the city, went over to his, the, the manor and had dinner and a bite to eat. And then the guy and the basically the the um, the Stanley Cup was on parade with kind of everybody. Everybody in the city was kind of getting involved, kind of what we did with it in Edmonton. The same thing brought the city into it. And then we went to um, a restaurant where they cleared the restaurant out and they uh, invited our um we invited uh they invited our team in and it happened that uh uh my uh future wife was going to be there but also um uh we didn't get together for a few years after that though we met there but we never got together till after that that's pretty cool life-changing moments on multiple multiple levels um I want to get back to the to the fact, and, and with, with this, we're going to kind of wrap up. Um, you were Mr. Clutch, Mr. Money, but there's a lot of pressure on guys. And you played in big markets. You played in Edmonton where you guys just kept winning. You played in New York where they hadn't won for so long and they needed to win. And then especially when you're the guy who's delivered, and that's why you got brought into New York because you were the guy to be to deliver. There's a lot of pressure. We've seen that this year. With, with Samuel Girard entering the NHL, NHLPA um, program, uh, we saw Corey Perry going through it saying he's had some mental health battles and some alcohol battles. When, when you hear that that continues to go on now, I think in your day, we probably didn't hear about it as much. It was probably still happening, but we didn't hear about it as much. What, what are your reflections when you hear about the kind of pressure that guys are putting themselves under to win, to perform, to elevate the game? Because I imagine, like, I can't imagine the kind of pressure that a guy must feel in situations like this. Well, I, I love those moments. So, as far as um, mental health is concerned, um, it depends on the individual, and uh, and everyone has a story to tell. Everyone, you know, has issues. There's no question in my mind. It's just how you deal with them and um, and how you cope with them. As a professional athlete you are put under tremendous pressure from all aspects and to perform, um, you know, daily that uh, someone's there to going to take your job. So uh, you're obviously under a lot of scrutiny uh, under the media is another thing that, you know, we didn't have a lot of. Um, so if there was issues, we, we dealt with them internally, but now it's public knowledge and uh, it becomes, even that bigger of a problem, in my opinion. I think the public um, really destroys a lot of the uh, the mental issues that a player might be going through. That can make or break a player, uh, or an actor, or an athlete, or um, you know, a, a, a big uh, corporate person. Like, the, there's a lot of things that you got to be able to handle. And I don't think, personally, I don't think there's enough knowledge on that. Um, 
uh, aspect of it and how to deal with it. We need like professional people in that, in that field to help us along as an athlete. Um, and then also, um, you know, team psychiatrists, I think that they're important to uh, be part of the clubs and try to work through all that, uh, the, the off ice stuff, uh, the on ice stuff kind of is their sanctuary. It's, it's where their, their safe place is with those guys. And I, I, I still love going to the rink daily because it's so much fun and, and, uh, it, it's just a, it's a big problem, I think. And uh, we just got to handle it a lot better. Wow. Really well said. Really well said, Andy. Way to go, man. That's that's uh, really well said. Listen, I've appreciated all your time. Uh, do you have time to play five fast facts with us? I'm going to ask you five quick questions. You give me short questions, short answers, okay? I'll try. <laughs> all right. Time now for five fast facts. The And I think you've played with some amazing Hall of Famers and legends of all time. The best teammate that you ever played with. The best teammate. Well, Mark and I got along famously and um, – you know, we lived together and, and like I consider him one of my best friends. Uh, he's he's always been there for me and um, he's he's always been a great teammate. So I'd have to go with Mark Messier. The best coach you ever played for. That's a tough one because you learn a little bit from each and every one of them. And, and from ever since you were a little kid growing up all the way through uh, to your pro levels and every team I played on. Since I was like 12 years old, all the coaches had some kind of influence one way or another. And um, I appreciate all of them and I love all of them. Who did you hate playing against the most and why? Who did I hate? <laughs> I don't think I ever hated anybody. Um, Even after Trotch stepped on your foot? No, I love Trotch. Trotch is a great guy. You got to, yes. you got to, he's one of the nicest guys in hockey. Yes. It's between Adam Graves and Brian Trotche, but they're two of the nicest guys in the game today. Uh, the who I hated would probably be a team because it was really tough to beat them, and I would say the Russians um, back in in the day uh, when they were dominating the game, and it was tough playing for Team Canada. And those moments in time were kind of my favorite because they brought the best out in you and we're playing against the best in the world. And those moments in, in my mind were, were the best by far. Favorite city to play in? There's a few. Um, Chicago was always good because of the organ and the, the noise and um, the fans were sitting on top of you. Uh, early in my career, it was uh, playing against the Islanders because they were the team to beat. And then L.A. was always good. New York was always good. You had um, Minnesota because of the ice. The ice was fantastic all the time in Mini. Uh, like, each building had its own uniqueness. And um, whenever the fans got on me, um, I loved playing in those buildings. Yeah. Final question. If you hadn't become an NHL player, what career do you think you'd be in? Well, Dad, five generations of fishing – two 90 foot saners that dad had. And, um, I went up to the Bering sea once, I uh, went out packing with them. I went salmon fishing with him, kind of went up through Vancouver, through the Johnson Straits, past the queen Charlotte's and, uh, up through Prince Rupert a few times. And, um, I don't know if I could have roughed it out, um, because that was harder than playing hockey, but, um, I could have fallen back on it because uh, it was there. It was a family tradition. 
and the boats were there and available. But uh, I kind of wanted to be something else and do something else. And I'm happy I made that decision. And as hockey fans, we are happy you made that decision. Andy, it has been amazing catching up with you. Thank you for telling these great stories. And I'm so glad things are still going so well for you. Thank you. Great. Appreciate it. Six-time Stanley Cup champion and Hockey Hall of Famer, Glenn Anderson. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven and Athletes Care. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite slurpy, fresh, 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot premium pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, local bread from the 7 Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating their 25th year offering sports medicine services to both elite athletes and the general population who require rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain. Go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, iTunes Podcast, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes, 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa.